Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me today. Now, we are continuing our series on idolatry and civil disobedience. Coming to the end of it, I believe, uh, probably going to finish up on today's episode. Eh, Maybe it'll spill over to another one. We'll see how far we get. But before we begin, it is time for our law or passage of the day. I wanted to pick this passage because it's going to be very relevant for our discussion on idolatry and civil disobedience. The passage is Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, and I will go ahead and read it. I'm sure you're quite familiar with it, but here we go. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So we see in this passage, uh, a little bit of the context first, Jesus had just spoken to the Pharisees and the scribes and lawyers about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This this story regarding the uh, paying taxes to Caesar uh, takes place in in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and uh, in most of the Gospels, actually, he had just spoken about the parable of the wicked tenants and the wedding feast. Um, those two parables are mentioned right before this story of taxes. Now, in both parables, wicked tenants that have the vineyard and, and God leaves and they're supposed to take care of the vineyard and, and produce the fruit, and they don't, and they try to kill the, the son, they kill the servants, and actually do kill the son of the king. And then the king has his wrath upon them. And then the wedding feast as well, where the king invites them, but uh, they beat up the servants and they don't come to the wedding feast and they don't have the right clothing. So in both parables, the rulers, the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, the scribes, they look bad. They are the wicked tenants. They are the unworthy uh, individuals to come to the feast. Um, So now the Pharisees are kind of upset with Jesus and they're trying to trap him and get him arrested. Now, so, so he's approached by essentially two groups, the Herodians and the Pharisees, and they're, they're separate groups, but they have similar interests. Both groups want an independent Israel, although they will have differing opinions on uh, the, the reign and rule of King Herod. But the point is, is that they bring up the topic of Roman taxes. Now, neither of them would have been big fans of paying taxes to Caesar, and they probably would have seen it as a, as a mark of oppression um, and tyranny. So the trap, though, that they're setting for Jesus is that if he is favorable to taxes, if he likes the taxes, if he says good things about them, uh, that's going to alienate the the zealots, certainly, who thought that the Romans needed to be murdered and kicked out of the kingdom and that paying taxes was basically uh, capitulating to foreign invader. He would have alienated the zealots, he would have alienated certainly the Pharisees, the Herodians, and and most of the people, because the people of Israel were just very oppressed by these taxes. So they would not have been big fans of them. At the same time, on on the other side of the trap, if he stands against the the taxes, he is a rebel. 
if he advocates for not paying the taxes, uh, the Romans are going to arrest him, punish him for treason, rebellion. So how does he escape this? Well, he asks for a coin, a denarius, a common coin, that the Romans had minted and used, and that was used for the currency. And on the coin would have been the likeness and inscription of Caesar, the image of Caesar with a few words on it, something about the divine Augustus or something about you know Caesar as uh, the divine emperor. And all the coins are bearing his image, and they're minted by Rome and the Roman emperor. And he says to the Pharisees, Jesus says that there's nothing wrong with giving back to the emperor the things that are his. He made the coin. His image is on the coin. Feel free to give him back his, his image and his likeness. But then he goes on to say, give to God what is God's. And the implication here is that, well, who bears the image and likeness of God? Now, people do. People should give themselves to God. The people around him, of course, the ones he's talking to, but all people as well. And this would include Caesar, because um, God also gets Caesar. Caesar is made in God's image. So Caesar might get the coins, but God gets the people. He gets the person. And this silences the opposition. They can't, they can't really trap him in this. There is no trap because Jesus is highlighting the proper relationship of these various authorities. It's not so much, is it wrong or right to pay taxes, but what is the relationship between Caesar and God? Paying taxes to Caesar isn't taking away from God's authority, okay? But you're definitely not to give to Caesar what belongs to God. God is the higher authority. And so the application here is that God has given certain authority to the civil magistrates, to the Caesars and the government. They have a specific duty, and part of that duty is the realm of minting coins and requiring taxes. But God is the higher authority because people bear the image of God. They belong to God. He, he made them. Caesar made the coin. God made the person. People must give themselves to God, not the Caesar. Caesar also must give himself to God, because he's also made by God. Caesar must not cross into God's territory, because to do that would, would usurp God's authority. It would set Caesar up as Lord, as if people were made in Caesar's image, which is, of course, not the case. So this establishes the proper relationship and ultimately leads to a healthy balance between the church and the state, but also the individual in the state. Remember, Jesus is not talking about the church and the state. He's talking about individuals in the state. So there is a proper boundary between the government, the church, and the individual. And so that is the implication here in this passage uh, today. So that is our passage of the day, and it leads right into a discussion about idolatry and civil disobedience. So last time I summarized civil disobedience, uh, its purposes and, and its phases, it basically involves prayer and petition for the authorities over you, asking them to stop uh, demanding idolatry or forcing idolatry or coercing uh, things, pun you know, punishing that which God commands or prohibiting that which God requires or uh, forcing someone to do something that God prohibits, right? So all those things would be uh, reasons for petition and prayer, but also fleeing if there's no other recourse, get out of there find a new place to take your family, uh, find a new church uh, where, where God's people can dwell in peace. But also, lastly, resistance, physical resistance. Um, and this, of course, is if there is no, um, there's nowhere to go. 
right? And it also is more applicable for lesser magistrates, those who are in authority and the entire community, the state, the county, the township can't just get up and leave. They need to be protected. Okay, well, who's going to protect them? That's the duty of the lesser magistrate. Uh, not the highest authority in the land, but a middle authority. So we've also talked about indications of idolatry. And I want to apply those indications from previous uh, episodes on the COVID vaccine and masking. So let's take a look at some indications that there is modern idolatry going on today with regards to the COVID vaccine in the world and, of course, in the United States. First, you have a public promotion of it and a public condemnation of those who are against it. And really, no other methods or treatments are being promoted publicly. And other perspectives are being subdued and eradicated, silenced. Okay, that's a warning sign of a cultural idol. You also have a sign that the government has endorsed or promoted doing that, not only uh, silencing the opposition, but but promoting and endorsing statewide, nationwide, the vaccine as the only means of achieving unity and prosperity. Again, this harkens to what the Romans had done with their sacrifices, requiring all citizens of the empire to do it, because it's the only way to save the empire, to bring about unity and get things back to the way they were. Another warning sign is that the government has begun to coerce those who do not comply. It's not so much really an option anymore to do it. You're not really free to do it. Now we're going to really put the pressure on to do it. And that's another warning sign. You have paper documents now needed to prove your status, to be able to buy and sell and move about the country, vaccine cards, passports. Um, The government is separating and encouraging the separation, alienation, and mistreatment of those who are unvaccinated. And they're showing increasing hostility to those who are unvaccinated. Those individuals are the ones holding us back. They're to refer to what what the pagans of Rome did, you know, they're holding us back. They're upsetting the gods. They're angering the gods. The gods demand a universal sacrifice throughout the entire empire. But these people are making it worse. They're causing more problems for us because of their lack of compliance. And going along with this warning sign is that exemptions are no longer really allowed. Maybe theoretically you could apply for one, but the chance of you getting one is slim to none. Um, You can't even have a, a freedom of conscience. Conscience doesn't really matter here. Like, why is it a big deal that your conscience is bound? It shouldn't be a big deal. So in this case, religion does not matter conscience does not matter. You should be able to set those aside for the good of the nation. Again, similar to what we saw um, in the Roman Empire, the, the pagans going to the Christians and be like, look, you can believe what you want. Just do it. I don't see why it's a big deal. Just offer the incense. It's not that expensive. It takes a few minutes and then you're done, right? Makes the gods happy. So that's what we see some of the warning signs today. And now we have Caesar is creeping into God's realm. He, he must not take what is his. Our bodies and our consciences belong to God because we're made in God's image. We're not made in Caesar's image. Caesar's job is to honor and defend what God requires and that we're made in God's image and that we're to honor God. So God places limits around Caesar. It is not that Caesar places limits around God. And so we have God's law being increasingly ignored and dis- disobeyed, right? Conscience is not being honored. God cares about the conscience. Just look at Romans 14, other passages. The conscience is particularly important, but Caesar doesn't care. The government is is not honoring that. 
trust is being placed in the vaccine, not in the Lord. And it's a glorification of man's accomplishments. Man is making a name for himself, as the people in the Tower of Babel did. And part of idolatry is um, glorifying in, in man's creation, right? Man can overcome death and overcome the result of the fall. We can do this. We can stop the pandemic. We can, we can end it. We can bring us back to normal. And we're, in a way, we're kind of withstanding God's judgment, right? And God's control and his sovereignty over these things. And it's, it is becoming now, this push for the vaccine, a false gospel, a false good news. And I want to give a couple examples of that. I'm sure many of you have seen vaccine billboards or various posters in healthcare facilities, restaurants, public places that, you know, promote, talk about the vaccine. I've searched for several examples online of vaccine billboards and, and posters. I've seen many of them myself, um, some while I'm driving, some while I'm just walking around, some while I'm, I'm just shopping or whatnot. But here's just a few examples that I've seen of vaccine billboard mottos or uh, posters. Uh, quote, this is your shot to get back to normal, end quote. Or quote, live long and prosper, end quote, a reference to a uh, Star Trek there, the live long and the prosper. Or how about, um, quote, vaccine is on the way, end quote. Or, quote, hold on, vaccines are coming, end quote. Or, quote, let's end this pandemic for good, end quote. Or how about, quote, vaccines bring us closer to a world without pandemics, end quote. And that's an interesting one, right? The kind of undoing the, undoing the fall of man. You know, we're going to kind of end the effect of sin. Uh, but the one that I really struck out to me, and this was uh, one that I saw driving home uh, from Virginia. Uh, my wife and I were driving through Virginia, and we saw this billboard uh, quite large on the highway. It said this, quote, get the COVID vaccine, it's your shot of hope, end quote. Now, all advertisement tends to be hyperbolic. We, we know that. I mean, advertisers, marketers, they just push the envelope on appealing to emotions and man's desires and but these mottos and these posters they they take away they're, they're trying to take away fear right and, and they're using the language of hope which is very messianic language and very few things in the world that are man-made are are identified with hope you know you don't really go to a restaurant and they say get this burger it's your bite of hope or get this ice cream it's your taste of hope um not really uh, but the language being used for the vaccine is quite messianic and this idea of salvation, rescue, bringing things back to the way that they were, ending the effect of sin. Um, and of course, nothing is wrong with fighting the effects of the fall and, and using the tools that God has given us to do that. But when you divorce that or separate that from God and what he has ordained and his control and his law and uh, the boundaries that he's placed, you make that thing, that tool, becomes God. And you, you actually end up glorifying yourself because, hey, you made that tool, right? That's man's tool. Man can make a name for himself. We can end this. We will save us. Um, now, I want to also uh, play for you a recording that took place about two months ago or so. Um, actually, maybe about three now. It was the end of September uh, of the uh, New York governor, Kathy Hochul, uh, the new New York governor since Cuomo uh, step down. Um, she was at a, a church event, a Christian cultural center in, at the end of September in New York, and she made some interesting statements about the vaccine that I want to play for you here. So 
this is a, a recording of her message to um, presumably a, a group of, of Christians. We have to get this community back. And what we went through this pandemic made us stronger. I believe that, especially when I talk to young people who weren't able to have their graduations from high school or a normal life for the last 18 months. I say to them, whatever comes your way in life, you are stronger, you are more resilient. God let you survive this pandemic because he wants you to do great things someday. He lets you live through this when so many other people did not. And that is also your responsibility. But how do we keep more people alive? We are not through this pandemic. I wished we were, but I've prayed a lot to God during this time. And you know what? God did answer our prayers. He made the smartest men and women, the scientists, the doctors, the researchers, he made them come up with a vaccine. That is from God to us. And we must say, thank you, God. Thank you. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say, I'm vaccinated. All of you, yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones, but you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know this. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. And how do you show that love but to care about each other enough to say, please get vaccinated because I love you. I want you to live I want our kids to be safe when they're in schools. I want you to be safe when you go to a doctor's office or to a hospital and are treated by somebody. You don't want to get the virus from them. You're already sick or you wouldn't be there. We have to solve this, my friends. I need every one of you. I need you to let them know that this is how we can get, fight, fight this pandemic, come back to normal, and then start talking about the real issues that we have to fighting systemic racial injustice, which exists today. And if there's a denier, I will take you on any day because I've seen it. I know it exists. And we are not going to have a blind eye to this ever again any longer under my watch. And that is my commitment to you. All right. So some interesting points there. Of course, at the very end, she had to throw in the systemic racism. So you know, we'll get back to the real issues. But so I want to point out a couple of things there. I just wanted to play the whole thing through. Um, I'm sure you're still processing all of it. But Look, she said a couple of true things. So it's true that, you know, God has given people the gifts that he's given them, knowledge, intelligence, things like that, that we can learn things from God's creation, that we can learn um, about medicine, and we can design things to help each other and to resist the effects of the fall, overcome that, and to um, make life a little bit easier, a little bit better. But when you take that, you divorce that out of God's law, it becomes whatever you want it to become. And she made it sound like, of course, that God gave us the gifts of apostles and teachers. Well, he gave us the gifts of, of scientists, right? The gifts of, of doctors and stuff like that. Well, yeah, and, there's, and yeah, there's, there's smart people, but it's not like that there are the only smart people. There are many, many other smart people and many, many other uh, endeavors. It's not fair or right to say like, well... You know, you have the apostles and the elders and the teachers in the church. You know, God, that's a gift to the church that God gave. Now, to the culture, we have the scientists and the doctors. It's uh, There seems to be a, a sense in which he's um, elevating them in, as to a type of priesthood, that they're the priests over the culture, and, and there's this religious language here, and that God gave them uh, to us. Like, very specifically, God gave them, like, you know, like sending the apostles, messengers from God with this 
good message, and she uses the language of, of apostles, be the apostles. So now she said, okay, well, she's using gospel language, and she's applying it to getting the vaccine knowledge out there, getting people to take the vaccine, right? Well, that's not the gospel. That's actually a false gospel. When you when you associate anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, dying for our sins, when, when you take that and you replace him with anything else and you use the language of gospel or good news, um, that's dangerous. I mean, that even if you're just trying to be a little cheeky and a little a little, you know, playing with language a little bit, that's a problem. That is the definition of false gospel, when you exchange Jesus for something else. Now, again, and she mentioned, what does she mention? Love your neighbor, right? And again, this is what happens. Uh, what does it mean to love our neighbor? Well, God gets to define that. God defines what loving neighbor is. And we have his law. We have all of scripture to help us understand that. It's not whatever you want it to be. It's not whatever you feel. And I've mentioned this in, in podcasts in the past, but we need to look at what God has to say about uh, medicine and about quarantine, about binding someone's conscience and making them um, in, uh, ingest something into their body, making them receive something into their body, um, and, and, and treating people differently, having double standards, one for the vaccinated, one for the unvaccinated, assuming people are, are unclean instead of clean. And all those things, if you if you root them in God's word and are, are being faithful to God's word and submitting to the Lord, great. God's placed the proper boundaries on civil governments and, and individual behavior. But when you say, well, I'm just going to make up my own standards and we're going to call it loving God and loving our neighbor, obeying God, right? Well, well, no, she's completely divorced it from the word of God. And it's actually her word. She's just using religious God-like language about it. And that is what false teaching is. There's always a smattering of truth that's Im it's embedded into all these lies, right? So uh, this is uh, the problem, and it's, it's, it's very scary language that, that she's using. And of course, at the if you heard at the end, like she wants to get back to normal, back to the way things were, back to the glory days, right? Where we focused on other more important things like systemic racism. So it's just very interesting. Um, that's this messianic language here. Okay, so we've talked about vaccines, but but masks are very similar. They kind of go hand in hand with regards to the uh, idolatry there. People are being pressured to clarify their, their vaccine and their mask status. You know, when they post on social media or they have a public conversation, if they're being watched, mask goes up. Um, they're, if they're talking about an event that they went at, they always seem to add the caveat, we were all vaccinated, we were all wearing masks, you know, like we're supposed to, like good little boys and girls. So it was a fear of judgment and punishment. Whether or not they believe it doesn't matter, but they need to show others that they are loving God, quote unquote, loving their neighbor. Now, the medicinal benefits of both masks and vaccines, it doesn't really matter. That's not the point anymore. There are many things out there that are still debated as to whether they're good or bad for you. I mean, goodness, even drinking alcohol, drinking wine, there's debates. Is drinking a glass of wine good for you or bad for you? Well, um, it's really your decision, and there's, there's different opinions on that, right? But if, if, if the culture were to require a public displays of drinking to be accepted and to go back to the way things were and to be, to be considered a good citizen, that would be strange. 
that would not be too far removed from the Roman method of pouring out um, uh, libations uh, in public to honor the gods. So we shouldn't be treating medical procedures like that. Um, so even when the, the science is mixed or there's a healthy debate on the use of master vaccines, that's fine. You can have that debate, but to make everyone do it publicly in order to be a good citizen, there's a problem. Um, for the Romans in the first century, second century, third century, um, you know, you could not prove to them that the sacrifices would not work, right? There was no way to actually prove. You know, they say, hey, do these sacrifices and the gods will be pleased and Rome will be unified and, and powerful again and things will be good. And the Christians could say, well, that's, that's not going to work because those gods aren't real. Those gods are false gods. There's only one true God. That's the only way things are going to work is repent and believe in Jesus. And, but for the Romans, they'd be like, well, you can't prove that they won't work. So why take, why take the chance? I mean, it's, it's a cost-benefit analysis. There's no harm in pouring out the libations and burning the incense and, and eating the meat. I mean, it's not that big a deal, right? Like eating the meat, you know, tastes good. It's not that bad. It's a little bit of wine, a little bit of incense. I mean, come on. You don't actually have to believe it. Just do it. And what's the harm in doing it? I mean, best case scenario, it works and we're all good. Worst case scenario, you're out a little bit of meat, wine, and some incense in a few minutes of your time. Not a big deal. But the Christians had a problem with that, right? And that was going too far to say Caesar is Lord, that he can demand uh, certain beliefs or, or matters of conscience, or he can demand the person. Um, he's going outside of his, of his boundaries. Now, I do want to point out that there are differences between what happened back then in Rome and today. There's some similarities, which we covered a little bit. We'll go over them again. But there are some differences. First of all, and today's governments are not going to use the same language. In Rome, you had to say that you have always sacrificed to the gods and that you are sacrificing to the gods and that Caesar is Lord, okay? That he is the final authority over you, all right? He is your Lord. Now, today, they're not going to use that kind of explicitly religious language, all right? You know, back in Rome, they had a, you had a picture of the, of the emperor in front of you or, or maybe a statue of the emperor in front of you and as you're offering these sacrifices. And uh, that's really not necessarily happening today in the same way. So it's not as explicit. The association of the, the act, the behavior, you know, vaccine, masking with the idol, it's not as explicit. doesn't mean it's not there, though. Uh, it just needs discernment. And I, I do think, in all honesty, that we're probably not yet there at the same degree as it was in Rome. And I say yet, it's possible. Now, what are some similarities, right? Well, I've already mentioned the government's infringing into God's territory, asserting that your body's not your own. Your body's part of the community, the collective. Your health is the business of everybody. All right, there's no more reference to, to the boundaries of the state. The state gets to choose its own boundaries. Um, the, the state's beginning to assert what you cannot say or think, right? It can't really make you believe something, but neither did Rome. Rome didn't really care whether you actually believed it or not, but it can stop you from speaking against it, the vaccines or the masks, and you'll need to say the proper thing. You need to confess what the state says, because to confess means to say the same thing as, right? So you need to confess that the state is right and you are wrong, or perhaps God is wrong. Now, the state has not yet mandated speech. Like, it prohibits speech. It prohibits, quote-unquote, wrong speech or hate speech or misinformation, as they like to say, regarding vaccines and masking. But they're not really making you say 
that vaccines are good or masks are good. Now, maybe in certain areas, that's becoming a pro. You know, that's actually happening where you, as a doctor or, or a physician or in any public place, you have to post uh, this particular poster saying vaccines are good. You know, kind of thing. You you have to toe the party line publicly, and as that becomes more of a problem, then it becomes more idolatrous. That's how it works. Um, the secular government has obviously elevated masks and vaccines over any other medical option. Only these um, particular items will save America, get us back to normal, um, and those who do not partake will be marginalized and are part of the problem. And of course, the government has replaced God's law. They get to decide what loving your neighbor means. They get to decide what clean and unclean now means. Um, previously, only God could decide that. That was that was his uh, delineation between what's clean and unclean. Well, now the state gets to choose. If you're vaccinated, you're clean. If you're unvaccinated, you're unclean. Um, rights are no longer God-given, but state-given, right? So how it's supposed to work is that rights come from God. They're God-given rights endowed to us by our creator, as the founding fathers said. And the job of the government is to protect uh, those rights and to defend those rights. But now what we're getting at is the state determines your rights. The rights are, are given by Caesar. It is the state that gives and takes away, to kind of quote Job. You know, the jo Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, now the state says, the state giveth and the state taketh away. Blessed be the name of the state. And then buying and selling is connected to the idol. You need to have the mask, the vaccine to buy or sell, to move about freely. Um, and that circle to, to be able to buy and sell without those things is a, is a circle that's increasingly shrinking and toleration by the state is decreasing. In summary, we're not yet quite at the same level as Rome was, but we're moving rapidly towards it. I mean, it's only been just, just under two years. I think one of the reasons why we're not at the same level as Rome was is mostly because of the structure of our, of our government. Um, the, the founding fathers were, were, were brilliant in what they did. Um, the separation of powers prevents much tyranny from happening, right? The Roman Empire didn't have the level of separation that we did, okay? The emperor was supreme, okay? There was a senate, of course, and there were lesser magistrates, but uh, not as uh, separate powers and checks and balances as we have today. Now we've got, we have the federal, state, local government. We have the judicial, legislative, and executive branch. So all these are kind of combating each other and preventing the state from being as, shall I say, national and as thorough with its um, uh, mandates and with the tyranny that it would normally be able to do in uh, a government structure like the Roman Empire. So um, I think that's one of our, our uh, one of the good things that we see, but that doesn't prevent it ever. I mean, at the end of the day, no structural government system can prevent, um, completely prevent uh, tyranny and idolatry. That really comes from the matter of the heart. You know, where the people go, the government will go also. So if the people are engaged in idolatry, the culture are engaged in idolatry, the structure will just capitulate to that at some point. And I would say, just to be fair, masks and vaccines are not completely or necessarily idolatrous, okay? So in the Roman Empire, offering wine and sacrifices to the images we clearly was. I mean, you really are associating uh, Caesar as Lord explicitly. Um, even though the Romans didn't think it was a big deal, you know, so there really wasn't freedom for a Christian back then to offer sacrifices or not. I still think there's freedom today. 
Christians can wear masks and can certainly be vaccinated, and that is not an that is not necessarily an idol for them. It's not they're not engaging in idolatry. Okay, but the, my point in all this is to say, as the culture begins to make something more of an idol, it becomes more of a problem. Okay, as it seeks to bind the conscience, as it seeks to limit Christian liberty and neglect the image of God in people then you're going to see it's just become more explicitly idolatrous. And I think that the line would be that when you have to acknowledge either by public word or deed that the state, that the government has the final authority over your body and over your conscience, that's probably where the line is at. And, and, and the language will become more bold and more explicit as the idolatry increases and as the state sees itself more as the Messiah, as the Savior, rather than looking to God as Messiah or Savior. So even if you don't agree with the state, but you simply have to go along with it publicly, that's when the state has you. So again, there's many examples in scripture. One of them is the example of Daniel and his three friends, right? They're, they're, they're commanded to bow down before the statue. They don't actually have to believe it. They just have to do it publicly. Nebuchadnezzar didn't really care what they actually believe in their heart of hearts. What he cares about is, are you doing the public action that's being demanded of you for the sake of unity and the glory of the, the government? So let's keep that in mind. Um, when the state begins to demand the whole person pushing God out of the picture and no longer honoring the image of God, but putting itself in the place of God, binding the conscience, um, demanding authority over your body, that's when we're getting to the realm of idolatry and, of course, tyranny, because all tyranny ultimately stems from some form of, of cultural national idol. That um, brings us to the end of our time. I might talk a little bit more in a future episode about civil disobedience in response to COVID vaccine mandates and, and masking, but... I mean, we'll see about that. I mean, I, I just my goal is to give you the principles and to help you to kind of take a look at things, maybe from a different perspective, and to reflect on these things. So I hope that you found this episode useful. Again, if you have any questions, please email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places. And, and please share the show with a friend. I would greatly appreciate it. So thank you again for your time. And until next time, take care and peace.